Before we start today's show, I just want to wish SpongeBob SquarePants a very happy birthday. I was able to record this program on July 14th, SpongeBob's birthday, but I also want to wish a happy birthday to the man behind SpongeBob, Tom Kenny, who celebrated his on July 13th. Happy birthday, Tom, and happy birthday, SpongeBob. I lost my pen. You can borrow mine. Thanks. I lost something once. I lost something I couldn't live without. My identity. So anyway, thanks for the pen. No problem, honey. And welcome to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. I'm your captain, Captain Eric. It's a pleasure to welcome you aboard to another episode. I'm sure there are some of you out there who are paying attention to our scheduling, or at least some of the schedule I mentioned within the last few weeks, that we're expecting Battle for Bikini Bottom this week, the uh, the Video Bob Game Pants episode covering that video game, which, in all regard, is the biggest SpongeBob video game ever. And uh, in, in a sea of SpongeBob video games, there, of course, would have to be a de facto best SpongeBob game, but... Uh, there's something about Battle for Bikini Bottom that goes beyond SpongeBob and how good it actually is. So to just release a regular old episode with me sitting here talking about it, it's just not going to cut it. So I'm planning something a bit special for Battle for Bikini Bottom that we will have within the next few weeks. So please stay tuned about that. I don't want to uh, announce anything officially. Not somebody who wants to... Well, I always talk about projects I'm planning, but as far as like big you know, one-off promises. I never want to make those because if I can't commit to it or if something falls through, knowing my luck, I will promise something and then things will fall through and then there's an egg on my face. But here's here's what I can promise you. The reasoning for the delay is worth it. That's the promise. And I'll leave it at that until next time. So instead, we're just going to chug right along through season three and and by the way, let's just take a moment and uh, and realize that we're coming up to the end of season three fairly soon, which of course means that we will be covering the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. But before we uh, move on to, to season four and beyond, we also have to to realize that with the end of, of season three and the SpongeBob SquarePants movie's release, we are, you know, at the end of the involvement or the main involvement of Steven Hillenburg. This is where he stepped away and said, all right, I'm I'm done. This is where I, I'm going to say goodbye to SpongeBob. And if it continues on, it's it's got to be under fresher people, fresher stories. And we will see where SpongeBob goes beyond that. Uh, ever since Steven left, SpongeBob has had his ups and downs, ups and downs. 20 years later, he's still as strong as ever. And, you know. We're going to obviously go through all of that in due time, but before we move on to season four here, we'll have an extra few episodes going over the first three seasons and Steven Hillenburg's involvement in the show and, and maybe even just a profile episode on Steven Hillenburg. So uh, please stay tuned for that, but as we continue chugging along through to the third season of SpongeBob SquarePants, we hit 
Missing Identity, the first half of the 58th episode of SpongeBob SquarePants first premiered November 14th, 2002 in Canada. And just like many other episodes that we have gone through in season three, subsequently aired in the UK and Ireland on May 3rd, 2003, in Australia on July 23rd, 2003, and in America on January 19th, 2004, uh... By the way, that being a reference to to the abridged version of Bandit Keith from Yu-Gi-Oh, just want to give my my condolences out there to the creator, uh, his family, his friends, uh, Kazuki Takahashi, the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh, recently passed away. Um, uh, And just what a a series, at least for the first few seasons, it, it, you know, was my whole world at one point. Uh, right in the bridge between the Nicktoons uh, and Jackass, there was a, a year or two where Yu-Gi-Oh! was, was my main obsession. It, you know what? It wasn't even just collecting the cards. I legitimately enjoyed the card game, and I was good at it, too. So when I'm you know good at something like that, I, I just fall in love with it. So, yeah, the creator had recently passed away on July 4th, 2022, at the age of 60, uh, uh, far too young, and uh, but what an impact he left for the world. So if you're a Yu-Gi-Oh! fan out there, shout out to you. And, uh, and once again, my condolences to the friends and family of Kazuki Takahashi. But back to Missing Identity here. This episode was written by Paul Tibbet, Ken Osborne, and Meriwether Williams. Our storyboard artists are Zeus Servas, Carson Kugler, Caleb Muner, and William Reese, our storyboard directors are Paul Tibbet and Ken Osborne. Our animation director is Tom Yasumi, and our creative director is Derek Dryman. Uh, Zeus is also getting his very first listing in the beginning of an episode. This, of course, is not his first episode on SpongeBob SquarePants, as he started with the brand back in season two. But uh, but this was his very first time getting getting listing in the beginning of an episode. So shout out to Zeus Servas. Missing Identity also reuses Reef Blower's uh, uh, title card, but changes it to a greenish color. So I don't know if anyone else ever noticed that, but if you look between the two, they are identical besides the color. What's always fascinating to me about this uh, this reuse of this title card, especially with the beginning of this episode, is that the beginning of this episode is is very much a homage to the film noir genre. And if you are not familiar with that genre whatsoever or any use of the term noir, obviously the most prevalent use of that term in in modern day entertainment would be the video game L.A. Noir, using it right in the title. And that video game is pretty much a, a capture of the style of movies that is the genre of, of noir films. Of course, there's the classics of Chinatown and Fargo that, you know, some film critics might think of as as your, your just over-the-top classic film noir movies. Uh, but one that I would say is just up there in the in the genre and honestly a more palatable watch for, uh, for any of you younger listeners out there. But Who Framed Roger Rabbit is very much a noir film. It has a lot of those same elements that you would find in movies like Chinatown. And even, you know, certain elements of movies like Fargo, honestly, I can find certain connections there into uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But yeah, if you, you know, have no idea what noir is, there are certainly those just dark, gritty aspects, those stylized aspects of Who Framed Roger Rabbit that 
would would be the best connection to. So if you see some of those and then you watch the beginning of this episode, you might go, okay, all right, I understand what they were going for here. And so how I connect that back to Reef Blower is the fact that Reef Blower being a, a silent SpongeBob cartoon then just kind of reminds me, you know, 1930s, 1940s style cartoons b- before they were speaking. And then boom, you know, a lot of these film noirs, especially the original ones, are all taking place around said time. So I don't know if anybody at the studio was thinking that deeply into reusing that title card for any sort of reason. But I mean, here here I am almost 20 years later on a podcast dissecting the title card. This is exactly why people make fun of podcasts. It's this right here. Wow. Self-realization. It's crazy. Uh, that was just a, a moment of silence of realizing uh, just how just how deep I got there. Let's move away from this title card sequence and on to the actual episode of Missing Identity. And what we have here is honestly one of my favorite openings to a SpongeBob episode ever. I am, of course, a fan of film noir, uh, not in a uh, pompous, pretentious way at all. Uh, but I am a fan of this of the series of the subgenre, so this opening is just is pitch perfect from the outside shot of the diner, especially with with one of the neon lights out and and coming in and out like it's it's absolutely perfect. Now we have seen this diner off and on through through SpongeBob SquarePants, going all the way back to the season one finale, Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy two in which he brought the heroes there, and, and that's where they sent them up to the jukebox to find their their theme song. Uh, this is the same exact diner, which also recently appeared in Employee of the Month. So now, I mean, thinking about it, we've, we've gotten a lot of this diner. It's one of my favorite establishments in SpongeBob. And by the way, if I was living in Bikini Bottom, if this place is 24 hours, I am absolutely one of those people who would go and order breakfast at like 1 a.m. Totally after dinner, too. That would just be like a, a mid-morning snack, but I would go in and absolutely order breakfast from that from that diner. Uh, the exterior of this diner, though, is a is a sunken boat, uh, a dinghy of sorts that certainly uh, capsized and and landed itself underwater, and some fish decided, well, screw this, we're making a we're making a diner here. You're not you're not taking this ship back above uh, above water. And by the way, relative to their size, it might even be a toy. Might even be like a one of those just professional racing ships, like you saw in that one episode of uh, of Hey Arnold, the the race at the pond. They had those like big impressive toy ships that they would race. It's got to be one of those. I don't know. Like this is definitely not a ship that people were using. I don't really understand any other reason why they would make the uh, exterior here a ship. But uh, you know what? You know what? It's it's a noir setting here. We got to do this right. Just uh, just dim your lights for a second. Let's let's give this a shot. It was a dark and stormy night in Bikini Bottom. The rain was so powerful from up above that it punctured through the waves all the way to the undersea floor, causing puddles in and outside the diner. Ah, uh, the diner. I'd love to go there at 1 a.m. and have breakfast, though I'm not sure it was 1 a.m. at this point in time. But as I went in, I noticed that the E on the diner sign was flickering on and off. As I made my way inside, the lights just seemed a bit dimmer than usual. 
There was rainwater dripping from the umbrellas that seemed redundant to own underwater. But I guess then again, you never really know. I ordered a roast kelp rye and pulled the mayo. Mash. I was hoping to get my food soon. The coffee there seemed delicious. I noticed that the bloke in the bar was working on his prospect puzzle, but he seemed to have lost his pen. I lost something once. And I mean, essentially, this is where the episode takes off. Uh, it has a very serious setting up to this point, giving you a very moody atmosphere to focus in on. I like the slow setting, the buildup to the eventual SpongeBob introduction, which pretty much ignites the, the rest of the episode here. Uh, the waitress and Ted, who is the, the man at the, the bar, who we have seen in a few other episodes and almost every time has a different color palette, but for for all intent and purposes, this is the same fish from each of these episodes. Best day ever, giant Squidward, if you've seen him. If you look for the fish with the the, the hat there, you'll uh, you'll know that's Ted, the the news reporter. But they have this this just very simple conversation of him missing a pen, uh, the waitress offering her pen, and then SpongeBob butting in with a story about how he he was missing his identity. Which for most people, if they uh, are fans of SpongeBob, they might also confuse this episode with the season five episode. Whatever Happened to Spongebob, which was promoted as Who Bob What Pants, an episode in which Spongebob actually forgets who he is. But uh, you just have to remind him, no, no, it's the one where, where he tries the snail food, and, and that should that should clear things up. But another thing that the beginning of this episode always reminds me of is the fact that in every job I've ever had where I was working with the public in any capacity, you will always end up talking with someone who either because they're 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 lonely in their lives or they just have a lot to say you'll be engaged in a in a story about someone's life that you may not necessarily want to be engaged in and like i said you know hey sometimes people are just lonely out there and they find somebody they they feel comfortable with and can confide in which I completely understand because I myself have been on the receiving end of of some pretty heinous stories. Just just you don't expect these things. They come out of left field. I, I'm always there to, to listen for people. There really isn't anything you can tell me that's gonna it's gonna make me run out of the room like I've seen a witch. But uh I, I'm I'm there for you. But still, when you're working and then somebody just stops you in your, your day and goes, I gotta tell you this. Sometimes you just got to be ready for a ride you might not be expecting for. And uh, and that's that's the feeling I get here. Like I feel like if you've worked with the public in any way, you've you've found a customer like SpongeBob where they interject into a conversation and they just I need to tell you this story. And they just tell you something wild. Now for SpongeBob's uh, story here, it's certainly not a, a wild one, but it is a story for sure. And it is the story on how SpongeBob lost his identity. And what does that mean? Well, it's not him losing his birth certificate or anything like that, but it's it's a simple misplacement of a name tag. And and one that is is really interesting and really special, and I want to share this with you because it's from a document that almost three seasons of the show here we've never covered before on the Squarecast. It's kind of one of those, 
you know, pieces of SpongeBob history that I, I figured I would cover at some point. Wanted to be a bit of a, a special time. And, and honestly, this is one of them because this is an episode that was pitched alongside SpongeBob SquarePants all the way back in 1997. I'm talking about the pitch Bible for SpongeBob SquarePants dated January 17th, 1997. It was used by Steven Hillenburg to help pitch SpongeBob to Nickelodeon executives. But what is a pitch Bible, you ask? Well, there's there's many of these terms that you use in animation and animated shows, and I will explain to them the best I can that I know of in the easiest of terms. But obviously, when you're to pitch something to a network, you're you're letting them know your idea, you're pitching them your idea. The Bible aspect, when a show has a, a show Bible, that is your your ground level, that is your base you are building everything off of. That is every bit of information, every little intricate thing you could write about every character goes in there, and that is that is the law. You know, your show's Bible is is your Bible. You go by that and nothing else. The pitch Bible here was essentially a mix between the two because it's literally every bit of information you could ask for when it comes to SpongeBob, the characters that are in his world and the world itself all laid out in 50 plus pages. There's so much to cover when it comes to this document and we will certainly go down through this uh, this rabbit hole in due time. But what I want to uh, highlight here is alongside this pitch Bible was plenty of episode ideas for how things really work in Bikini Bottom, how these characters interact with one another. And we're talking some of the, the classic episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants were laid out here. I'm talking about the the jellyfishing episode. I'm talking about, of course, the, the initial help-wanted pilot. Reef Blowers was laid out over here. Muscle Beach squeaky boots, bubbles, employee of the month. You're you're talking the classic of the classic, but alongside these episodes that were more fleshed out in like full page sections, there was also a couple of pages that had a few like paragraphs of these like, hey, these are some quick story ideas that we're coming up with. And on the second page of those stories lists this paragraph. Mind you, at the time they were trying to go with the name SpongeBoy, uh, but they would later find out that there was a copyright already with SpongeBoy and would later change it to SpongeBob. So I'm, I'm just for historic sake, I'm not going to change when I say SpongeBoy here. So don't freak out. Uh, SpongeBoy loses his name tag, the most cherished part of his crusty crab uniform. He and Patrick tear his house apart looking for it. Patrick keeps insisting he saw the name tag somewhere. SpongeBoy finally goes into work, but he feels naked without his name tag. To add insult to injury, a customer says to him, Hey you, what's your name? Got any napkins? SpongeBoy runs home, so humiliated that he packs to leave town. As he's walking out of the pineapple house, Patrick suddenly sees the name tag. On SpongeBoy! He had his shirt on backwards the whole time. Now, I mean, spoiler to the end of this episode. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, I, this is just, it's mind-blowing to me how just a quick pitch like that from so early on would eventually become the Missing Identity episode here in Season 3. They would circle back 
to this idea. But SpongeBob goes over the story of his missing identity, his missing name tag. Of course, we inevitably know where it's going to be found. But before we, we find it on his back, we have to go through this series of events here. SpongeBob starts his story out right at the beginning of his day, which is, you would think, inconsequential to mention for your story, but he has to circle back to the beginning of his day anyway, so it is kind of smart for him to, to start there. He has reasoning for his storytelling. But his day starts out as follows. SpongeBob wakes up, gets entangled in his blanket, his alarm clock falls on top of him, sends him tumbling down the stairs, which then he meets Gary, who of course is just simply waiting for his breakfast. But when SpongeBob is your owner, one doesn't simply just get breakfast, you get a song and dance. And uh, when it comes from SpongeBob, it's it's absolutely adorable. The, the Gary breakfast song is one of my favorite little ditties in SpongeBob history. Just something that's not even considered a song, but um, I love it nonetheless. Uh, but what follows that is SpongeBob's curiosity on the taste of snail food, even though this would now be the third time he has gone on to taste snail food in the show thus far, his first two within Opposite Day and I Was a Teenage Gary. So SpongeBob should have a pretty decent idea as to what snail food tastes like, but it, he just can't stop himself now that he is on the thought and uh, gives himself a taste to which he responds with such a bleh that it just radiates outside of his house all through Bikini Bottom like everybody can feel the disgust that emanates from Spongebob. And I, I gotta be honest with you, pet food sucks. It's not supposed to be good. It's only supposed to be good for the animals it's intended for. And uh, and our our opinions on it really don't matter. Now, if you ask my grandfather... He'll tell you that there's some brands of dog food that are, are pretty good, which was a complete accidental moment when he was living with my family for the last few years of his life. But he got hungry one day, went to the fridge and just grabbed a can of food. And uh, when my mom came home, she went to go feed the dog and realized that my grandfather went to town on the rest of his. Uh, I don't know what the brand was, but it was certainly a, a dog food brand and uh when my mom approached my grandfather she was like what did you what did you have for lunch today and he was like meat pudding or meat pie or something it was so bizarre and he said it was pretty good but uh it was just so bizarre that uh that he didn't question the dog food at all i don't know if his his senses at the time were just whack or if the dog food brand was just that edible to humans but i've tried dog food before and it's it's not good i'm not saying i've tried it in the last couple of years it was something I did as a kid, but, you know, I think all kids have that curiosity of certain dog foods. When you see it, you're just like, well, that looks kind of like what I eat. I wonder if it tastes anything the same. It's just that simple curiosity. And uh, I think it's okay to let that kid learn the the value of a lesson that dog food, animal food, just not not the same as human food. Definitely not the same in the taste department. But here's the thing. Snails in the SpongeBob universe are are more like cats than they are dogs. So I really can't go out to the store and buy a can of snail food. Or I, I probably could. Certain stores might have them. A little little something for snails. But uh but like a can like that and the style it comes out, 
It looks kind of like what you would expect in a cat food can. And I've never tried cat food. So I can't sit here and tell you that it's a bad experience. But I could find out. Here. Let's... Yeah, I definitely, uh, I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that to anybody. Uh, right after his own taste test of pet food, SpongeBob realizes that he's running late to work and quickly rushes through getting dressed before running out the door, saying hi to Patrick before eventually making his way to the Krusty Krab. Now, there's a little bit of a sequence here of, of him kind of wasting the time of the people in the diner he's telling the story to, but... He's also, uh, you know, assuring them that that in due time, he's going to get to the real meat and potatoes of this story. Uh, but he has their attention nonetheless. The the waitress and, and Ted here are, are waiting to hear what SpongeBob has to say in his story. They're at least interested, as is the chef of the diner who is waiting to hear what SpongeBob has to say about his missing identity. Down at the Krusty Krab, SpongeBob delivers a Krabby Patty to a customer who wants to thank him for his service, but seemingly can't thank him because she can't find his name tag. Now, for uh, for her response, I have to say it's a pretty poor excuse to still not thank an employee. I mean, you can just still ask somebody what their name is. You know, I, I don't always wear my name tag or I've even been at companies that don't necessarily have name tags. So it would be completely fine and normal for a customer to inquire what your name is so that, you know, when they thank you to your face for, for the help you've given or the service you've done, they can use your name. It just makes it a bit more of an intimate experience instead of just saying, hey, good job, thank you. Once you engage with that name, it, it all of a sudden makes it just from a simple compliment to a more personalized compliment. And I think you would walk away a little bit more with uh, your head up high if somebody took the time to learn your name to thank you for whatever you've done. Where I got to say, like, I, I got to throw a knock here on this customer for not just inquiring what SpongeBob's name was and then thanking him for his service. Instead, she felt the need to berate him for not wearing his name tag. Now, I absolutely love SpongeBob's response to this customer. I I love it. To me, it's one of the best SpongeBob lines in the show's history because it perfectly emphasizes everything SpongeBob is about in a nutshell. It's so sublime how well this works, but the fact that SpongeBob is telling this customer that it is against his personal philosophy to disagree with the customer, but... When it's something that he knows flat out 100% they are wrong on, he has no problem in, in just going, boom, bam, you're wrong, check this out. He goes to show off where his name tag would normally be, but unfortunately, it's not there. And if you were paying attention to SpongeBob in this episode, you will notice that a certain aspect to his character is missing, which is is really funny. There's the, the wink and nod there to the missing part of the missing identity. Um, if you're not paying attention, it might 
come as a, as a shock later on. I mean, I've already spoiled that he's wearing his shirt on backwards, but they, they knew this detail throughout the entire episode because if you notice from the moment that he got dressed, he put on his shirt backwards. His collar is missing from where his tie is. So throughout this entire episode, the two little V's that make his collar next to his tie are completely gone, indicating his shirt being on backwards. Uh, now, SpongeBob, like I said, goes to show this customer where his name tag would normally be and is just flabbergasted by the fact that his name tag is not there, which is really funny because we've never seen SpongeBob really wear a name tag, but he's making it seem like there's always supposed to be one right there. And it goes to remind me of one of the aspects of SpongeBob from the initial pitch of the show, not really from the pitch Bible, but um, initially SpongeBob was meant to always have his Krusty Krab hat on. It was a part of his character design. Hillenburg had mentioned that SpongeBob was so enthusiastic about getting the job at the Krusty Krab that he always kept that part of his uniform on. So I, I think it's funny here where we have an episode about SpongeBob's name tag, an aspect of his of his attire that we've never seen before, but according to SpongeBob, just simply is just always there. Like, it wasn't a part of his morning routine to put his name tag on. It was a part of, of his morning routine to just throw his clothes on, which means his name tag, quote-unquote, is kind of like there, but not really. You know, it's a part of his uniform, apparently, Enough so that once there's a, a emergency uniform inspection, SpongeBob's going to freak out over the fact that he doesn't have a name tag. So it is an important part of the uniform. Uh, could this be a, a nice little wink and nod to that that idea that SpongeBob doesn't ever take off uh, a part of his uniform? He's so happy about working at the Krusty Krab that even though we don't as the audience really see it part of his design on his shirt just points to the idea that this name tag is supposedly always there. And I, I kind of like that idea that just even going back to that initial idea that SpongeBob's so excited over working at the Krusty Krab doesn't want to ever take off his uniform. So the idea that SpongeBob maybe would never want to take off his name tag uh, because he's in love with his job at the Krusty Krab so much is is pretty funny. Obviously, it's just a one-off story, a, a non-sequitur and it's just interesting to see some of these early elements of SpongeBob still kind of being incorporated into future episodes of the show, even if it's just for a one-off. Now, normally, if you lose your name tag, it's completely fine because name tags are small, easy to lose, and they're also fairly easy to make. Your boss should have a ton of them around, and replacing them shouldn't be a problem. Now, if you need a replacement name tag every shift, your boss will probably and rightfully get a little upset with you, but if it's your first time, you know, that shouldn't be a problem. For SpongeBob, though, it is a problem. A name tag is is more important to him than you would expect because that's that's probably still the first name tag he received when he joined the Krusty Crew. So it, it, it's sentimental for him, and he's an emotional kind of guy. Uh, but also, it's not just the fear of losing this name tag that has him all bothered, but it's just also the idea of what someone else could do with that name tag as SpongeBob fears somebody robbing a bank with with his name tag on. And then, of course, then people blaming SpongeBob for robbing the bank. I think that's funny after 
Mr. Squarepants here tried robbing a bank not too long ago himself and even handed over information of himself robbing the bank. I don't think he should be too worried about somebody else using his name tag. But one thing I want to mention here, because this is a, a podcast about this episode, and these are the kind of things I should be covering. But if you go back and watch the scene with the bank robber, and as they zoom in on him, as he comes into the bank, he says this is a robbery. The camera zooms in to show that he is wearing the SpongeBob name tag, and he screams out, Attica. And if you've gone your entire life never really stopping to think about what that meant, I'm about to tell you exactly the meaning of of that phrase and also the rabbit hole I went down because it's it's not fun. It's not pretty. Get ready for this. Um, I'll try to make this as TLDR as humanly possible. But uh, this is a reference of a reference because a bank robber screaming out Attica is a reference to the Al Pacino movie Dog Day Afternoon. And for context of the of the Attica phrasing um, of what happens in the movie, uh, Al Pacino plays a bank robber named Sonny who attempts to rob a bank for his wife's gender reassignment surgery, steps outside to negotiate with the police, and of course as the negotiation starts to get a bit more intense and heated, Sonny starts yelling Attica at the police, which then starts to drum up uh, some response from the crowd that is watching the ongoing uh, struggle between the the bank robbery and the police. This is a reference to an incident that took place in Attica, New York on September 9th, 1971, and lasted four days until September 13th, the Attica Prison Rebellion, in which the inmates at Attica Prison, uh, the Attica Correctional Facility, rioted took control, taking 42 staff hostage, which initially stemmed from the treatment that the prisoners were receiving from the guards in the facility at the time. Um, the reason Sonny, the bank robber, would want to bring this up is to to drum up that uh, initial, like, hey, it's us against the police-type situation, or at least that's what I got from that moment in the movie. And then, of course, that is then just then referenced in this moment in SpongeBob. I know that that is a deep rabbit hole to go down from a simple line in a SpongeBob episode, but I love when they're able to make uh, fun little references like this. Not that it's a fun reference in any stretch of the imagination, but I like when they're able to make references to other media like this, um, more so off of the Al Pacino movie and not the incident where the name came from. Uh, If you ever get a chance to watch that movie, I I do recommend it, but uh, I do have to say it is... Um, uh, something reserved for those over the age of 18. So definitely be of age if you are going to uh, watch that movie. As mentioned earlier, there is this random uh, employee uniform inspection that Mr. Krabs just brings out out of nowhere. Of course, of course, on the day that SpongeBob is missing his name tag, there happens to be an inspection of their uniform. It's one of those aspects of a good film noir, but when it rains, it pours. It tends to get worse as things go on. But things start to brighten up as Squidward gives SpongeBob the idea that he should just retrace his steps throughout the morning to try to find where his name tag may be. And SpongeBob thinks this is a great idea, but of course, in in a way that only he could, takes this idea to its literal extreme. 
because now it comes into play as why he mentioned all of those really terrible things that happened to him as he woke up, because SpongeBob doesn't just think back to what happened this morning. He goes back home to redo every single thing that happened to him this morning, which also includes Patrick saying hi to him because that was a part of his morning routine. What follows, though, is pretty much one of the biggest comedic moments of this episode, and in classic Patrick fashion, he is unable to even handle the simplest of tasks. SpongeBob has asked Patrick, hey, remember how you said hi to me this morning, which a part of his walk was just a simple hello. Hey, SpongeBob, and that was it. Hey, when you see me walk by you again, could you just do that one more time? Which Patrick's initial response is actually one of my favorite moments of this episode. My hellos aren't just some tape recording that you can rewind and play over and over. They're special. But of course, Patrick is a tried and true friend. And when SpongeBob really needs help, he is happy to oblige. And of course, saying hi, SpongeBob shouldn't be that hard of a task for any other fish in Bikini Bottom. This is Patrick Starr we're talking about. SpongeBob doesn't simply just go through his Patrick uh, part of his morning. He goes through his entire part of the morning, which is waking up, getting entangled in the blanket, getting the alarm clock falling on his head, falling down the stairs, feeding Gary, trying the snail food, getting dressed, and then saying hi to Patrick. Except every single time that SpongeBob gets to Patrick for Patrick to simply mess up his high SpongeBob line, SpongeBob completely forgets the fact that he got dressed for work. He goes from trying the snail food right outside to Patrick messing up his line. So over and over and over again, SpongeBob is continually falling down the stairs, eating snail food, and then just getting upset at Patrick messing up his his one little line he's asking him to do. Um, one of the funnier ones here, when Patrick says, Hi, SpongeBob, he actually apologizes to the audience for messing up. One of the many fourth wall-breaking jokes they have in this episode. Um, and it's it's kind of frustrating with me that SpongeBob would forget about the getting dressed part. Because, I mean, that would, that would of course, then answer the question as to where his name tag is. And we can't possibly answer that yet. But it, it's just a frustrating part. He's not thinking about his morning that deeply. Up until Patrick asks him, well, what did you do after you left me? You had to have done some other things in your morning. SpongeBob recounts a few other moments during his morning routine, which includes two guys throwing SpongeBob into the dumpster behind the Krusty Krab. We don't get to see these two guys whatsoever. They're completely unnamed. But I have to know who these menaces to society are. Absolute savages. Who Who is just taking this guy and throwing him into the dumpster like that? Uh, especially that early in the morning. Uh, unreal. But now we have a new location to check on for this name tag. It's the dumpster behind the Krusty Krab. I, I don't know what it is about the coloring of trash in dumpsters, but instead of going through and drawing meticulously every single thing that's thrown out in there, a lot of the times animators will have this greenish texture just in this kind of blob to show off trash. And I got to say, in all of the shows that have featured dumpster diving, this is one of the most beautiful dumpster interiors I think I've ever seen. Uh, besides the look of it, it is also by far one of the most disgusting 
as our characters are, are digging through and sifting through this trash looking for the name tag, there's almost this liquid state to the trash they're, they're digging and sifting through. It's, it's really gross, but incredible in the way it's animated. Uh, even the way Patrick moves through the trash, it is almost as if he's just in a pool. He jumps into it, does a cannonball, the splash comes up, spits out water like it's ugh, gross, like it's a swimming pool. But I don't even know why you would want to do that in a swimming pool on its own. But in a dumpster, that's a completely different level of gross. But this is the moment as they're digging through the dumpster that Patrick realizes that SpongeBob is wearing his shirt on backwards. And through, of course, a, a little bit more of a comedic bit of tension between the two of SpongeBob thinking Patrick is the, the boy who cried name tag, eventually SpongeBob comes to realize that, wow, in fact, he has been wearing his name tag this entire time, his shirt's on backwards, it's time to fix himself and get ready for the inspection, which is happening in mere minutes, which, of course, if you just hop out of a dumpster and go right to your employee uniform inspection, you are bound to fail because you probably smell like a dumpster. And this is exactly what happens as Mr. Krabs boots SpongeBob right out of the Krusty Krab as he smells completely disgusting. And as we cut back to the diner, SpongeBob ends his story. This is how he lost his identity. We get one of my favorite fourth wall breaking jokes in SpongeBob history. Uh, not as good as Squidward's mention of SpongeBob annoying him every every 11 or 12 minutes of his life. But the waitress mentions that SpongeBob managed to uh, to kill 11 minutes, which is roughly the amount of time that SpongeBob was telling that story. Um, it's, it's, of course, roughly the amount of time that a SpongeBob episode airs, but uh, I always love any time they kind of mention like the, the runtime of an average SpongeBob episode. Uh, but that is Missing Identity. Uh, not not one of the best episodes of season three. I, for me, it's, it's one of those mid-episodes. There are a lot of funny jokes here. And of course, we can't not mention the fact that the SpongeBob sitting at the diner meme, the, the, the sad-looking SpongeBob, that somber-looking SpongeBob, that meme is one of the biggest memes in SpongeBob history right from this episode, right at the beginning when he mentions to the waitress and Ted that he has a story and that he lost his identity once and the camera pans over to him. It's an important episode for that fact. Uh, but also, when this episode first aired, uh, Plankton's Army, the second half of this uh, of this episode, actually aired first as it was like one of the most promoted SpongeBob episodes of the time as, as it was going to show you what happens when Plankton finally gets the Krabby Patty secret formula. And that is actually the episode we are going to feature next week here on the Squarecast. So stay tuned for that alongside the episode on Battle for Bikini Bottom. It is going to be, up to this point, one of the biggest episodes in the Squarecast history. So if you are a member of the Ready Crew, definitely get your britches ready for that one. I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. And with that, that's our time together aboard. Thank you again for being a part of the Ready Crew. You can reach Captain Eric at spongepodpodcast at gmail.com if you have any SpongeBob-related questions or comments you want me to read here on the air. If you have anything you want me to plug, I have no problem doing that too. You can follow me on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast or on Instagram at SpongeBob Podcast. 
please check out my other podcast, This Week in Nickelodeon History, dropping every Sunday on most conceivable podcast platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel, where you can also hit that bell for notifications so you can know whenever the captain puts something out. You can also purchase new and updated merch at the Redbubble link, either in the podcast description or in the link from any of my socials. Anything that comes in through my projects goes directly back into my projects, and it's always appreciated. As always from the captain here, please stay safe out there, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Hi, SpongeBob. The SpongeBob. I, I said, oh, SpongeBob. I said SpongeBob. Again, again, sorry, people. No.